Well, not quite. I'll be talking about much more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where the intersection of finance, technology, and policy come together. And I'm your host, Chris Brummer. The future of finance is now. We're going to devote this episode to crypto assets. That's right, not just unregulated cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, but also other kinds of digital assets supported by blockchains that might be deemed to be securities akin to stocks and bonds, and as such, subject to federal regulation. Our focus will be crypto exchanges, that is, the venues where crypto assets trade, as well as the uncertainty involved in trying to distinguish one kind of crypto asset from the other. You see, crypto exchanges lay in many ways at the heart of this wild west of regulatory jostling and are at the front lines of compliance and also market-led standard setting and rulemaking. Now, crypto exchanges can fall into all kinds of categories. Some are licensed to trade crypto securities as well as stocks and bonds in the United States, just like NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. Others, meanwhile, are not permitted to allow trading of stocks and bonds and are only permitted to trade crypto assets that are not deemed to be securities. But the key words are, of course, in the United States. Most other exchanges around the world don't have as many limitations and sell all kinds of cryptocurrencies and crypto assets. They just can't market their wares to American investors. Let's dive into what exactly happens here in the United States. One example? Gemini Exchange. The investor is Winklevoss Capital, the investment fund created by the Winklevoss twins. Remember them? The twin brothers famously lost out to Mark Zuckerberg in a battle for the fortune generated by Facebook. But these days, the twins are counting on the future and have gone big into crypto assets. This is what Cameron Winklevoss had to say at South by Southwest in March. You know, when we got into crypto, it was effectively nothing. The market cap of Bitcoin was $100 million. Today it's something, tomorrow it will be everything. By the way, Winklevoss Capital is an investor in Fintech Beat's parent company, FiscalNote. But I digress. Let's get back to our story. The other day on our way to work, my colleague called me and said, you are never going to believe what is on the corner from our office. So I dropped my things, ran down to the office, and what did I see? A big blue bus emblazoned with the logo Gemini. I saw these black t-shirt clad hipsters and they were handing out cards, great cards with the words, new money, new rules. So being the fearless FinTech nerds that we are, we walked over to the people in the Gemini t-shirts to find out, well, what the heck they were up to and why were they in the middle of Washington in a crypto bus? I spoke to Janine Hightower-Silito, the managing director of Gemini.com. So I guess the first question is, Gemini, what is Gemini? Sure. Gemini is a cryptocurrency custodian and exchange. So what does that mean? Uh, Gemini is a safe and regulated place to buy, sell, and store cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin or Ether. Uh, what is a, uh, a crypto exchange and custodian doing with a bus in Washington, D.C.? That's an even better question. 
So we launched an advertising campaign uh, back in January to coincide with the launch of our retail mobile app. And we are out here uh, spreading the word about crypto, spreading the word about Gemini. And one of the things that we've been focusing on is the regulatory approach for cryptocurrency. We're big advocates for regulation in this space. We think it benefits the customer and benefits the future growth of the markets. So let's pause for a minute. Washington, D.C. regulates just about everything from drugs and toys to airplanes and financial products. And it regulates financial products precisely because people don't always get the information that they need to make wise investment decisions. So the government mandates disclosure and because financial products can sometimes create risks to the financial system or enable financial crime or endanger national security, the government can impose certain kinds of prohibitions and controls. But fintech is so new and moving so fast that regulation struggles to keep up. And it's not just a challenge for the federal government. Of course, regulation can arise even at the state level. But this can create a patchwork of varying and different kinds of rules and regulations that can hamper innovation. And in any event, it's not always clear that even state regulators have the capacity to absorb in real time developments shaping the industry. And that can present dangers. We have a number of our regulatory agencies just a couple of blocks away. Is there a, a certain sense that regulators need to know a little bit more about how it works operationally? Or is there a sense that normal people need to know also not only that Gemini is there and, and that Bitcoin is out there in the world, but also that there are options that involve some regulation? Yeah, I think it's both. I think that uh, from a, a regulator's view, they want to know a lot about cryptocurrency. They want to know how it's being used. They want to know who's using it. They want to make sure that markets aren't being manipulated. And those are all things that we are advocating for and we're very supportive of. Um, but even from the common customer, which is who we're really talking to out on the street today, uh, we're not having formal meetings with regulators. We're really out here talking to the public at large. And, and we're trying to make sure that they also understand the importance of regulation. For most of our retail customers, they're really worried about things like how hacks and cybersecurity. They're really concerned about some of the things that we offer to mitigate those risks, such as insurance on the hot wallet. But we're also talking about things like anti-money laundering protections and know your customer protections so crypto funds aren't being used to finance terrorism or activities that are illicit. Now, the story Gemini is telling here is an important one, but it's important to also observe that this is about more than just a need to regulate. There's also a real interest, even in the industry, for more regulation in order to make existing rules clearer. Because if you can make the existing rules clearer, the thinking is that the crypto industry itself has a better shot at flourishing. So it's really important that everyone understands sort of what this market is doing, and in particular what Gemini is doing, to make sure that everything's operating in what we call a safe and regulated framework so that people can be assured that they're participating in a clean, trusted, secure environment. Gemini is not alone. Some of the best legal minds recently met at King & Spaulding, one of the country's top law firms, to wrestle with how crypto exchanges should be regulated. Now, as a participant on one of those panels, I want to share part of that discussion with you. Sitting on the panel was Juan Suarez, an attorney at Coinbase, Mary Beth Buchanan, a lawyer from Kraken Cryptocurrency Exchange, and John Betcha, co-founder and CEO of SS Vector. Now, these are some big deal players. Let's listen in on what Coinbase's Juan Suarez had to say about who should lay the markers down for regulation. As you'll see, the conversation winds very quickly into the issues of tokens and how they're regulated. 
to be both. I think, you know, it's it's funny. The industry is always asking for, you know, more clarity and then you provide more clarity and they're like, oh, this isn't enough or this is confusing. You know, you look at this couple of things I know I think we'll talk about in a little more detail, which is the SEC guidance that came out around tokens and also, you know, the more recent FinCEN guidance around anti-money laundering and and what what is and was is not a, a money service business that needs to be registered, and I think you know those definitions are critical in terms of, and especially with everything is kind of this facts and circumstances analysis for a business in terms of whether you're in the regulatory space and re- in the regulatory bucket. And so I think it's incumbent for regulators to try to cover as much ground as they can, but you you can't cover everything. So you need to be able to think through and have enough clarity more broadly. And I think also from the industry's perspective, I think there is a need for the industry to come forth with ideas on how to do so and best practices. I think there's a lot of kind of areas where you look at, for example, in the exchange space and the trading space, like common practices around uh, trading, market surveillance, conflicts of interest, insider trading, things like that. We could see some clear best practices around from the industry perspective, which would take some of the pressure off from a regulatory perspective as well. So let me jump in here and explain some of the lingo. First, what is a token? Remember Chuck E. Cheese pizza when you were a kid? Chuck E. Cheese! Chuck E. Cheese! With all these tokens, a bunch of tokens for the kids. Plunk down cash and you get tokens to play video games. Well, it's the same basic idea. You can use a cryptocurrency as a token to access some kind of goody, like a newfangled online data storage facility. But the one thing Chuck E. Cheese doesn't have, or doesn't seem to have if you're a kid, is rules. You're not really concerned about who's going to be using those tokens as a means of money laundering. And you're not worried about Chuck E. Cheese's custody of your money or the tokens that you use because you're really not worried about that kind of security. In the real world, or even the digital world, you have to have rules. But who should develop these rules? This is what FS Vector's John Betcha has to say. I think the industry has an enormous influence over the definition setting by the choice of vocabulary when they launch a product. And this is, I mean, to Mary Beth's point, why it's important for thoughtful lawyers in-house or wherever to consult with folks. If you want to go and raise a bunch of money and you want to call it an ICO and you raise a billion dollars and then you go to the SEC and you say, well, it was a utility token, you're probably going to have a harder time um, making the argument after the fact that this is actually some sort of consumer internet use case thing. You may succeed. The law is actually really murky on that, and that's a huge challenge for both the SEC and for us and for a number of folks trying to navigate the space. John Betcha makes the argument that the U.S. is losing on this front. On the point of offshore, I do want to add one other thing, because I know there are some regulators here, and they've heard this many times before. Our biggest competitor, and in fact, the world's biggest crypto exchange is an offshore operator, partially because the laws, I think, must be different where they operate. Uh, They are able to add assets and add clients in in a way that Coinbase and Kraken and others just simply cannot. And that actually has created a really serious challenge. And I, I don't necessarily blame anyone for that outcome. The reality is the laws are different from place to place. But uh, that, in my view, puts all the greater pressure on industry to be really thoughtful about, you know, how are we launching the products and how are we positioning them? Because if we're not doing that carefully, we can fall into all sorts of traps that offshore folks won't and we will lose. I think if you look at the distribution of companies, you know, around the world, there are, what, 200 exchanges maybe? And we have a handful in the U.S.? You know, and there's there's a clear reason for that. And the reason is that we haven't had the certainty that there is, you know, in, in other countries. And there are 
reasons. In certain countries, maybe they don't have regulation or they have one regulator who is able to establish some regulatory scheme that can be accomplished through one regulator. You know, here we have multiple regulators that have to agree on, on the regulation. But it is something that I think very soon we, we need to get some consensus on because we do see companies leaving the U.S. because they can't wait and they can't deal with the uncertainty. And exchanges that are still standing, you know, we, we found a way to do it and we try to figure out, well, which regulators have which pieces of it and we, and we try to deal with that. But those who, you know, haven't been able to deal with it have left. So what's the uncertainty everyone is talking about? It boils down to whether and when a cryptocurrency is a security and thus should be treated like stocks and bonds. If it is a security, exchanges have to have a license to be security exchanges or something called an alternative trading system or ATS. If they don't, they can be fined or closed down entirely. But there are no roadmaps to delineate exactly what kinds of cryptocurrencies are securities and which ones aren't. Instead, the law requires that lawyers look at the facts and circumstances of any particular cryptocurrency and its offering and decide whether or not it operates again like stocks or bonds. And that means a number of judgment calls are made in the process. And this can get really, really stressful for the operators of cryptocurrency exchanges. If they get their judgment wrong, not only can they be sued, but they potentially have to give back all of the money that they raise selling the cryptocurrency or the crypto asset in the first place. So how are crypto exchanges dealing with this challenge? Let's start with John Betcha from FS Vector. Being in a law firm and now being an outside consultant, it's, it's interesting. I deal with clients now and trying to work through the regulatory roadmap. And they've talked to other consultants or other law firms. And in some cases, they get three different pieces of advice on the same facts and circumstances. So it's really difficult in this environment because you're making interpretations. Sometimes you're just kind of putting your finger in the air and trying to figure out which way to go. So I'm curious how you guys handle that approach and how you vet new products and services and do the legal analysis. Now to Coinbase. So one, one thing we do at Coinbase is we start with having a legal department that's 27 uh, attorneys and staff, which is uh, kind of obnoxiously large for a company of 800 people. Um, but the reality is we're, we're in a complicated uh, uh, space doing what turns out to be a complicated business. Um, <clears throat> so the and that's a tough question, John. The, the thing that we have found, and I don't know whether this is the right answer, but uh, it's it's the thing that we're trying to stick to is. Um, more more uh, around process and trying to eliminate as much as possible uh, random judgment calls from decisions that we make. So let me give you an example of how we've done this in the in the realm of securities, which, as I mentioned earlier, continues to be like probably one of the hardest questions that we're dealing with. Um, we are in the business of listing tokens. We are, we're a place where people come and they want to trade stuff. And our customers have consistently said the number one thing they want from us is more tokens on the platform. Um, and uh, in order to, to do that, we have found that we have to we have had to think a lot about whether uh, the token issuers and the tokens themselves qualify as securities. Um, the SEC, while, while it has issued an, an enormous amount of uh public guidance in the form of enforcement actions and speeches and, and other guide, probably more than any other regulator out there, um, 
it will not unless, you know, you go through a formal no action relief, you know, give you an answer on any particular token. And so we are um, in the position of having to to make a was really our best guess. So what Wanising begs more questions. How well can a company self-regulate? And how should a company self-regulate? One goal is, after all, to collect fees on trades, which means they want to list as many assets as possible. But does this pose a conflict? How does the exchange prevent itself from listing financial products that are securities? Well, let's hear more of what Juan has to say. Uh, the process we have established starts with the guidance, and we've, we've distilled down like a 40-part question um, analytical tool that, that's a series of yes-no questions. Um, any any lawyer or law firm could probably answer the questions, and we have found that, in fact, they are answered the same way when you repeat the process. It spits out a, sc- a score on a, on a scale of one to five. Five is undoubtedly a security. One is a ham sandwich. Um, many things are in the three, four, or five range, and depending on where we are on the scale, we have an escalation process. We'll go to the board if it's you know above a four-point whatever. We'll go to the senior committee uh, if it's between a four point whatever and a three point whatever, you know, and um, and we stick to it. Um, whether or not we're getting the answer right every time, um, I don't know. My guess is we're going to probably get some of these wrong. Uh, our hope is that by showing that we are trying to make our best faith effort and, and by sticking to a process and doing it consistently, that that is worth something. Um, and we've tried to replicate that kind of non-judgmental standards-based approach uh, across as many aspects of the business. So I don't know whether you've got something like that, but that's the best we've come up with. Yeah, we, we have a process as well. Um, first, we have a committee that looks at each token, and we have a multifaceted um, approach to looking at it. We look at tokens for various things, and we have a um, protocol that we use, and, and we look at tokens globally. So we look at the securities regulations in all of the countries uh, in which we do business. So we have, you know, different scores uh, for different countries. And then the committee will uh, come to a conclusion and then they bring it to me and then I'm the, you know, the final arbiter. But I got to say, I'm going to go back to my CEO. He has 27 lawyers with 800 people. We have 800 people and I have seven lawyers. So uh, I must be working really hard here. Okay, time to nerd out. I just can't say enough how interesting this is. So one of the things you see if you hang around long enough is that technology is not only enabling new kinds of gizmos and trading, but it's also being used increasingly for compliance, for regulatory compliance. So it's called RegTech. But I have never heard of RegTech being deployed for answering a question like whether or not a financial product is a security. Now, I, I suppose that there's no reason one shouldn't use it. I mean, there's an app for everything nowadays, and as long as it's being used responsibly, it could certainly play a very useful role in the industry. But for it to be effective, as one seemed to suggest, you would really need that tech combined with the reasoning of human beings. You would need to combine humans with technology. You would need cyborgs. Remember that 1980s movie? You were chosen because of your matrix engineering background and the makeup of your personality. You are the perfect choice for this mission. Well, I think that's what you'd need in order to integrate something like an app into higher order legal examinations of facts and circumstances. But 
Then again, maybe I'm underestimating the power of artificial intelligence. But that's a question for another program. What we do see is that the question of what is the security is not just a problem for those entities that are promoters of cryptocurrencies, but also exchanges. And the way the exchanges are handling the issue, including other issues like anti-money laundering controls, is not surprisingly by engaging in more technological innovation. But this itself creates its own batch of new and highly interesting technological and legal questions. Ah, the circle of fintech life. I'm Chris Brummer. Thanks for listening. We want to hear from you. Feel free to email us at fintechbeat at cqrollcall.com or tweet to at chrisbrummerdr. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. Join us next time on Fintech Beat, produced by CQ Roll Call.